Lethal Larry Cameron, you couldn't take it anymore. You talked and talked in your interviews. You wanted Owen Hart. Well, I said I'm not a hard man to find. I've been fighting with Dynamite Kid and Johnny Smith, and I've been booked up with them. But Lethal Larry Cameron, you came in and you interfered when I was finishing off that weasel on Johnny Smith. Well, let me tell you something, Lethal Larry Cameron. You inflicted a lot of pain. You hurt my neck, and you busted my head with a huge bump. But I'll tell you something, Lethal Larry. That's not the reason Owen Hart is leaving this promotion. I got contract commitments in another federation. And I'll tell you something, Lethal Larry. Nobody does this to Owen Hart. I'm not leaving because I'm not scared of you. I'm leaving because I got contract commitments. And Lethal Larry, don't you ever forget it. Because you won't ever get away with doing this to Owen Hart. One day, I will come back. And I'll be like white lightning. And I'll be coming to haunt you, Lethal Larry. Nobody does this to me. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. Let's take it straight to Duff McKagan and the joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you. Uh, I'm in my car in the driveway of a, a rehearsal place. Uh, I just heard uh, Chewbacca got off work, and uh, he went down to the bar after work. And there was a few people in there, not a ton, but uh, he sat down at the bar. And the bartender came out and served the person to his left and served the person to Chewbacca's right. And just kind of went away for a while, made their drinks, brought them back to those people, then disappeared for a while longer. Chewbacca didn't want to be a, you know, dick, but he's like kind of raised his hand up. And bartender comes back out, serves a couple other people at the bar, doesn't come to Chewbacca. Chewbacca just wants to drink after work, you know? Doesn't want to be a dick. Raises his hand. Um, comes, bartender goes away for a while, brings those people to the drinks, goes away again. Chewbacca's been a half an hour. Finally, the, Chewba- the, the bartender comes up to Chewbacca, straight from the space, and goes, uh, what can I get you, sir? And Chewbacca says, Thank you very much. Uh, the Chewbacca impression alone made me laugh. I'm not sure what the actual joke reminds me of my cousin Lee when he was like five years old and saying, I made up a joke. What is it? There's a chair in the corner. That's not a joke. That's kind of what I said to Duff. He goes, no, Eric, it's going to be amazing. Well, it is amazing. Because Duff did it, and uh, we love Duff McKagan for phoning him uh, in those jokes every single Friday, and be here next Friday when Duff does a live joke of the week in person. That's right, Duff McKagan returns to talk as Jericho to talk about his new solo album Tenderness, the Guns N' Roses Not in This Lifetime Stadium Tour, GNR's future plans, and Duff, Duff also gives us a little history lesson and tells us a live joke of the week. But today, another friend of the show, Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter is back again. He was just on a few weeks ago. This time we're celebrating the life and legacy of one of my heroes, Owen Hart. It's been 20 years since Owen's tragic passing when he fell from the ceiling at the Kemper Arena in Kansas City at the Over the Edge pay-per-view. We're going to remember that sad night, uh, but we're also going to remember Owen's amazing career, how influential he was to so many, how uh, just a bunch of a high-flying pioneer he was, how funny he was, great personality. We got stories from uh, Owen's uh, time in Japan and his two runs at WWE, his feud with his brother Brett and his great tag team matches he had with his brother-in-law, David Boy Smith. Let's get right into it. Dave Meltzer returns to talk Owen Hart right here on Talk is Jericho. There's no doubt, Brett. You did some great things. You've done it all. You've done everything possible in the World Wrestling Federation that any single man can do. You've done it all. But you notice I'm using the past tense, Brett. You've done it. That was in the past. That was then. This is now. You've never faced me, Brett. 
All those other accolades that you earned, everything that you did in the past, that was before you ever saw the rocket face-to-face, one-on-one. So everything that you did, all those great achievements, all those victories, all those world titles, all those intercontinental titles, everything that you did, Brett, let me sum this up. You did all that, but I go out at WrestleMania 10, and I beat you one, two, three, which is what I'm going to do. And you know it, and I know it, and it's only a matter of time. Then that makes me better than you, doesn't it, Brett? It's simple to figure out. You do all that, but I take it one step higher. Because I surpass everything you've done, and I surpass you because I'm going to beat you. Then that makes me better than you. Correct? I think so. And you know what? When you light the rocket on fire, and it blasts off at WrestleMania 10... And it soars straight to the top. There's nothing, nothing that will ever stop the rocket, brother. All right, so um, it's very strange. It's one of those anniversaries that you don't think about. But this week, May 23rd of this year, is the 20-year anniversary of Owen Hart's passing. And I'm with Dave Meltzer here. We've discussed many of the biggest stories in wrestling. The Chris Benoit tragedy, uh, the last time we spoke, was when Vince bought WCW. Do you feel that the the Owen Hart's passing uh, is is one of those top stories in wrestling history? I mean, I think from a media standpoint, as I remember it, the biggest one would be Chris Benoit, but I think the second biggest, as far as mainstream media, was Owen Hart because it was live on a pay-per-view, and it was, you know, because that was front page news in like, you know, newspapers all over the United States, right. which like the Montreal Screwjob, really, that was, a, that was a gigantic story within wrestling. But like the average person on the street, if you go to the grocery store, you know, doesn't go up to you and go, hey, what did you think about the Montreal Screwjob? The only ones that I can recall from a pro wrestling standpoint where, you know, you'd go out the next day, whatever, and people come up to you that were, you know, would be... um you know, the Chris Benoit thing, which, you know, you and I know far too well, which lasted for weeks, honestly. And then the Owen Hart thing, which, you know, lasted for that whole week where it was like one of the most talked about, maybe the most talked about story in the country, you know, for a couple of days there. Yeah. And when you think about it, too, I think because of the Benoit, the ramifications of it were so much bigger because it almost brought down the whole business. But, you know, keeping in mind, this was eight years before Chris's passing, it was kind of the same thing. The fact that, you know, this, the, the decision to continue the show going forward and then just the whole, the whole kind of legal battle between Vince and the hearts and then the hearts battling amongst themselves. I mean, like you said, within wrestling, well-documented, but even making it like you would go into the grocery store and look at national Enquirer and it would say, you know, professional wrestler falls to death from, from ceiling. And I think everybody knows that story. It might not know his name, but it was a guy that had, like you said, had some name value, an actual legit main eventer at times in the WWE, but also kind of had ups and downs there as well. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is like you, you get this, I kind of like to look at two different like angles of it. Number one would be in Canada, where, you know, the Hart family is the first family of Canadian wrestling, without a doubt, um, especially for that generation. And, you know, Brett was a star, uh, you know, a huge, huge star. But also, like, if you're in Western Canada, you know, Stu was a legend. And just the whole idea of Hart Family, Stampede Wrestling. Stampede Wrestling had a lot of television. You know, even outside of Western Canada, at certain times it was syndicated. So a lot of people in Canada saw Owen Hart from, like, literally the start of his career as, as this 
teenage phenom or, um, you know, rookie phenom anyway, and, you know, saw him go to WWE and have his ups and downs in WWE was definitely a struggle. You know, he had two, two different terms there. He um, had a great program with Brett. You know, I mean, that was, that was excellent. And then sometimes he would fall down and he would be tag team champion and things like that. He was a guy on the card that if you were like a, a, a real close fan or, um, you know, a wrestler, you knew that Owen Hart was like, you know, really one of the most talented guys in the business. And at times he was pushed like that and at times he wasn't. But yeah, like in, in wrestling, you know, because of the Hart family name, it was big. In the United States, I mean, it was a giant news story in the United States just because of, um, you know, the nature of what happened. And then it retained that because the lawsuit was so contentious and, and you know, such a big dollar amount and involved WWE, WWF as it was known at the time. And, you know, so even years later, it remained a news story, you know, after, you know, the the initial incident. And, and we've seen, I mean, we just saw it a couple of weeks ago with Silver King, you know, passing away in the ring. We know, you know, Kobashi did, or Misawa did, and uh, Gary Albright and those type of guys. I mean, even go back to Ted DiBiase's father, Mike DiBiase, but nobody had ever before this died, which, I mean, I hate to say this sort of thing, but even in this day and age that nobody has died in the ring due to some kind of an accident, some kind of a move screwing up, or, you know, obviously this was a stunt that went totally wrong. Is this the first time that you can remember or that you knew of somebody actually dying in the ring from an accident rather than from a heart attack or something like that? Well, there have been guys in different places that have done stunts that have gone, you know, like uh, moves or something or, or, you know, just, you know, injuries, you know, I miss mean, Al was actually in the ring. So there've been deaths in the, in the ring from, sure. you know, that weren't heart attacks, but there was nothing like this in the sense it was this elaborate stunt where, you know, it's one thing like you're in the middle of the match and in a sense, you know, you're, you know, not that people die in wrestling often, but you know, in a sense, you do put your life on the line, you know, one slip and something like that, you know, like the move that you do in, you know, 80% of your matches, you know, n- you know, nearly killed Hayabusa and, and almost certainly led to him dying very young. Right. I, I don't think that, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, the you, line you salt, do yeah. Put, yeah, you do put your life on the line, but the one with this one was, is it was like, when it was over, it's kind of like, it becomes so needless because this was something that like never, you know what I mean? It never needed to happen. It was kind of, I don't want to say a bad idea because, you know, Sting had done it for a different, but it was, it was a, it wasn't as safe as the one Sting did, but people had repelled from the from the ceiling before. But you know, it, it, you can go like, "Did you really need to do it?" And then all those questions that get asked, and just the finality of of, of everything, because it was such a, I mean, it was really one of the most heartbreaking moments, maybe the most heartbreaking moment in, that I've ever covered. You know, and there have been some you know spectacular, I don't say spectacular deaths, but there have been some big big name deaths, but. I do think the Owen Hart one was the most heartbreaking because you look back and go, you just go, it never should have happened. I mean, not that like Eddie Guerrero's death ever should have happened, but it's like, look, he was a wrestler and this is what he did and this is what happened and it sucks and it's horrible. But with Owen, you go like, it just, it just never should have happened. Well, and the thing is too, okay, you mentioned Masawa, but Masawa also died. Like you said, he took a, he took a, a back suplex. It was just years of, of neck problems that that was the final straw similar to what would have happened to edge had he not had that doctor's appointment or you know it could have happened to edge when they basically said you can never westle again and he had to retire right after wrestlemania well what happened to masawa what happened to to pero paraguayo jr you know those are things that that have been a 
cumulative buildup of all these injuries. But Owen's thing, like you said, was just this accident. And you mentioned Sting. Not that there's a difference, but Sting is also a main event guy who was this very mysterious character, like the Phantom of the Opera coming down from the rafters to wreak havoc. Whereas Owen at this point was playing the Blue Blazer as almost a comedy figure, like a bumbling, stumbling superhero, out of touch superhero in the Blue Blazer. So when you say it didn't have to happen, it's almost like they were just doing a comedy gimmick with it anyways. He could have done the, was Fred Ottman, what the hell was he called? The Stormbringer or whatever. Taskmaster. He comes to the wall and falls down. They could have just done that with him. Well, I mean, the thing too is it was really, you know, it's, it's it's hard to imagine today because things are so different. I mean, maybe they'll be the same in a year, but but back then when when you had that really heated wrestling war, and I mean, it was essentially it was a spoof on Sting. I mean, that's what it was. Really? I mean, they would have if, if Sting hadn't been doing that as part of his mo, they would have never come up with that idea to kind of spoof the superhero thing. It's like it's nobody had bad intentions. You know what I mean? It's like I, it's it's hard for me to go in there and go all oh, those people who who made this thing happen because i'm sure that in their own ways everyone who decided on that probably feels as guilty as guilty can be sure. for it happening and for that decision but it wasn't like they were out there you know like there's there was no malice in it but it was you know it was basically this spoof of, the, of a superstar with the other promotion and trying to kind of play off that and you know the belt that he was wearing you know the buckle unbuckled and you're whatever it is 70 feet above the ring and you fall straight down, you know, like straight down. Oh. I mean, you know, and, and, and people at first, you know, probably figured, cause and, 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 and I just remembered this. I mean, you probably do too. When, um, they, um, did that in WCW, if you remember once, um, before this, right. where, you know, like, like they say spooked that the guy fell, but it was a dummy because it was just trying to do a shock moment. You know what I mean? That's so right. It, it, was, like, it was a dummy sting, like a Monty Python sketch where he fell from the ceiling and everyone right. was, was surprised, and they turned around. The real sting is there, or whatever the hell it was. But I forgot about that. Right. So, so because of that, if you were a wrestling fan and you kind of see that, you probably think, ah, you know, WCW already did this stunt, and so immediately, you know, because I don't think in the building people really knew what was going on right away. And you know, I mean, from what I understand, it kind of got around the building like maybe an hour later that you know he was taken to the hospital and blah 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 blah. Because there's nothing said in the building. So, because I think that part of it was they were afraid that, you know, the fans in the building knew it would kill the show and they decided to keep the show going, which, you know, was, you know, at that stage, you know, they probably shouldn't have, but on the flip side, it's like, you don't have exactly a lot of preparation if you're running a wrestling company for an incident like this, you know, like um, now they, now you do, now you have that precedent, but when they were doing it in Vince's, this thing happens, it's like, it's not like you've got okay, in the event of someone falling from the ceiling right. and, 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 you know, on a show, this is our protocol of what we do and what we tell the fans and how we handle it. This is all like, oh, my God, what happens? And we've got a live show going on. And, and immediately you're going to – I'm not saying you're going to think, like, keep the show going. There's a million things that you're thinking, but rational thinking is probably not happening at that moment. Well, and it's easy to judge in hindsight and retrospect, like you said, but when the show is actually going on and, – and once again, this is just – pontificating and just being the devil's advocate. When did they find out that Owen had passed away half an hour later, an hour later, you know, yeah. in the meantime, maybe they're thinking, well, hopefully he'll be okay. Or we don't know what to do. Just keep the show going. By the time we find it, find out he's passed away, the show's almost done. Um, you know, but the, the interesting thing, and we'll talk more about the whole situation, but I was just, it's crazy to me. He was only 34 years old. 
Think about that, Dave. With two young kids. And the other thing about it was, you know, not that like your match quality is like the be all and end all, but you know, if he'd lived, you know, all those yes. guys, because you got to remember the world that he was in in the 90s was a very different world than the 2000s when it came yes. to pro wrestling as far as styles and guys. You know, like you being a key part of it. Like if you were in WWE, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you'd have struggled. But in the 2000s, mm-hmm. you could you could be a top guy because they were, you know, it wasn't about size and bodies. It was a lot more about overall entertainment and all in the ring. And he was getting this, you know, he would have gotten an influx of you and Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and Rey Mysterio and guys like that to where he wouldn't be a small guy and he had guys that he could work with and have these, you know, and fit in and have these incredible matches. Like I, I completely believe that, you know, three years later, he'd have had the greatest series of matches of his career. I agree times a thousand. So once again, we're talking about 34. He started in 86 or 85. So he's, he'd been doing it for 18, 19 years. It was probably a little jaded because most of the guys from that time frame were. I know Davey Boy Smith was. Can you imagine? Because right afterwards, he had already started working with Edge and Christian and those guys. One of the reasons, if you would have said, what are the top 10 reasons why you're leaving WCW to go to WWE? Towards the number eight, number nine, it would have been to get the chance to work with Owen Hart. Like that was a huge reason for me because I was I was very much influenced by Owen Hart to get into the wrestling business to begin with. So I was headed there, and then you know Chris would have been there pretty shortly after, and Eddie. I'm sure they had worked together in New Japan. Dean Malenko, and then of course you had Oscar uh, Mysterio, all those guys coming in. There was a huge resurgence of guys that I, I could actually work, which a would have given Owen great opponents and B I think mentally it would have given him motivation and inspiration to say, drop this comic bullshit. Let me get back to being the Owen Hart that basically influenced all these guys, you know, I think that, and also not, not just that, but all the edge and Christians and Hardys and all those guys that were coming up, you know, I mean, edge and Christian had to grow up watching him, you know, like, like sure they did, you know, and, and, People like that, where you have the young guys, kind of like the, the role you had when you probably turned 40, you know what I mean? Where you have guys who grew up and they watched you and they kind of revitalized you into, you know, yes. I, I, you know, whether it's a more modern style or just, hey, you know, let me keep up with these guys. And, and it's just fresh working with new guys with new ideas. And Owen would have been, Owen would have been, you know, what you were Completely. years later at the latter part of your career there. It's the role that I still play, Dave. I mean, that's why it's so relevant for me right now to be in AEW with all the stuff I did in New Japan because I wasn't working with guys the same age as me. I was working with guys that were a generation younger that were teaching me as much as I was teaching them. And when you work with younger guys and have great matches, it keeps you relevant. You know what I mean? It yeah. keep, it, it's, it's like when I see you know, Goldberg versus Undertaker. I'm like, why would either one of those guys want that match? If it was Goldberg versus Lashley and Undertaker versus, I don't know, Reigns or whatever, it gives you more uh, longevity and makes you more contemporary, which, like you said, I think Owen, because I remember seeing a match with Owen probably in about 97. You'll, you'll probably know exactly which one. It was for the European title. It was Owen versus Davey. And it was oh, the, the Berlin f- match. Amazing, right? Yeah, 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 fantastic match, yeah. Because both those guys had some motivation in Europe working with each other, going back to their roots, which are being great workers, Japanese, English, Mexican styles. And you saw that match, you go, those guys can still do this. 
if they have the right motivation and the right opponent, they can go out there and do this any night they want to. And I think, like you said, Owen would have been, probably been the first guy to go, you know what? This is this is becoming a lot of fun again because now I'm being challenged and doing the, the wrestling that I learned while I was training. Yeah, I mean, I think about, because again, in that era, with, you know, nothing against, it was just a different group yeah, of guys. sure it was. But the style of wrestling that he excelled at when he did Japan and when he did Stampede early, you know, yeah, he could do it with Brett every night of the week. And, and him and Brett had phenomenal matches. Yes. I mean, some really phenomenal matches. But a lot of the guys just couldn't do that. Davey could do it. You know, and with Davey, it was probably more interesting because Davey always had the ability. But, you know, with some, it, it's like he sometimes would get so carried away with his size that he would forget. I don't want to say forget, but he would, you know, he would, he would get in the mentality of being a big guy when he had all that talent to work like a small guy. But when he's working with Owen and it's the finals of this tournament and they're both sitting out there, you know, one obviously want to have a great match to prove something to whoever. And yeah, they had like one of the best matches of that year. And the thing is too, I think I always said for Davey, he learned and was trained when he was a very skinny guy. So even though he gained 50, 60 pounds of this muscle, his instincts and his foundations were as a smaller guy, which I think is one of the reasons why he was still so agile, uh, even though he was bigger, because he had trained and learned as a smaller guy. Yeah. LOD, tonight is just a small preview of what you're going to get at Grand Zero. As soon as we get in the ring with you tonight, we are going to destroy you. And then at the fatal four-way LOD, when you get in the ring with the Heart Foundation, it is going to be fatal. Oh, what a rush. Well, let's talk about Owen Hart and kind of how he got into the scene. Because once again, I remember first seeing him. I discovered Stampede Wrestling in about 1986. Uh, I was a huge WWE fan. But back in those days, I'm not telling you this, but people that might not know, there were so many different territories. So when you grew up in Winnipeg, you would get the WWE, WWF at the time, every Saturday. Uh, we didn't get NWA, but we did get uh, IWA out of Montreal, and we got WFWA based out of Winnipeg, and we got some of the the, the Al Tomko wrestling van from Vancouver. But Stampede Wrestling, and you can help me with this, this was after Bruce Hart had revived it, after Stu had sold it to Vince and then got it back. Uh, that was probably about 1986. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it was 86, and I think when they rebooted... Owen was like immediately the top guy and he just started. And I mean, that's, that's, it was a really interesting period to me because it was almost like, you know, Owen, Owen I guess probably just because, you know, they had the ring at the house mm -hmm. and, you know, he was a great athlete. You know, I mean, he was like really good. Like from day, the first time I saw him, I remember he did like this diving headbutt three quarters away across the ring. And it was like, Whoa, God, you know, Owen, I mean, it's like, okay, so he's a, a heart brother and all that, but it was kind of like, well, this guy's like really, uh, you know, an amazing guy. And I mean, and he progressed so quick and, and, you know, his brother was booking, they made, you know, he was the star of the company for, for years until he went to WWF and, um, you know, and, and went to Japan pretty early because Hiroshi Hase was there and they had matches in uh, stampede. Hiroshi Hase was a heel who later became a big star in new Japan and, and Hase like, when Hase became a star in New Japan, he wanted Owen over because Owen was like his favorite opponent. And Liger, when Liger started, he was in Stampede and he wanted Owen over to work with him in New Japan. So when Owen went to Japan, it was like he fit in like a glove. You know, from, from day one, he was like big junior heavyweight star, you know, for, for a couple of years and then went to WWF. The first time was not a success. It was a very frustrating period for him. But the second time when he went back, it was better. Well, let's just go back because I remember, like I said, watching Stampede Wrestling, which you, you, you would get 
Uh, and, and I always tell this story, like wanting to be a wrestler from a very young age, because I used to watch AWA with my grandmother. When you're watching WWE and you see, you know, uh, uh, WrestleMania and Madison Square Garden and, you know, Los Angeles, you know, Chicago and all these places. To a kid growing up in Winnipeg at the time when there was no Internet, really um, none, you might as well be talking about Mars, like New York City might as well be Mars or might as well be, you know, the moon. Whereas when you see Calgary, I've been to Calgary. I know that my parents drive there. Uh, with me in the back seat, it takes like 14 hours. I could go to Calgary and I could become a wrestler. And so I really got into watching Stampede because I could really uh, accept that and I could I could understand what it was. And I'll never forget one day I was watching Stampede Wrestling and they had this highlight video and it was for the song Hearts on Fire by Brian Adams. And what it was was a two or three minute compilation of Owen Hart's greatest moves. Now to see what Owen Hart was doing in 86, unbeknownst to me, he'd already been in England. Like you said, he'd probably been in Japan and probably done some work in Mexico at that point. It would be like watching a, a Pentagon and Phoenix uh, highlight tape now. Like you're watching this stuff that you'd never seen before in your life. And I was so enamored with it. I remember thinking, I want to be a wrestler and I want to be like that guy. It was the first time I can legitimately remember going, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And I think it was about September of 86 or so. So, but it's one of those moments, like, I don't know if you've had one of those in your life of when you wanted to become a journalist or whatever it was, but that was the moment for me when I said, I want to do this from watching that Owen Hart video. Wow. 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 Yeah. I mean, and the other thing too with Owen was, um, for a guy like you, he was relatable mm -hmm. because I mean, like if you watched and, and you know, tons of kids watch and want to see, you know, want to be like Hulk Hogan or ultimate warrior. But you, you know, I mean, there's probably ten people in the world, or maybe two hundred people in the world, who could be that, and you, and you weren't one of them. You no. know what I mean? Yeah, there's, there's no way you're not going to be six three, six six. You're not going to be two eighty jacked up like that. And if you were, your heart might explode. So that's you know, you know what I mean. But Owen Hart, you could watch that and go, he's pretty much my size, and um, you know, he's athletic as all hell. But at least it's like. You know, and that, that was the one thing with Stampede was they were hardworking guys, um, but they were not like, you know, most of the guys were, were normal size athletic guys. You know what I mean? Even, right. you know, even the shooters were like weight division shooters from England that they would bring in. Right. They sure. weren't like 280 pound guys. Although Gary Albright was there, but that was the exception. You did have a few big guys. You had Mike Shaw, who. Actually, I think it was a big part of Owen getting over because he was the I was just going to say, Muck and Singh was in all of those highlight reels that he was doing. He worked so well with Owen. Uh, he was yeah. like the perfect, like uh, Muck and Singh was a big fat uh, heel, not super tall, but he was a great base for Owen and all the stuff that he wanted to do. Yeah, he was like 360, maybe, maybe even more. But the thing with him was, is he was very, you know, like how a lot of big guys in that era, not so much now, but in that era, a lot of the big guys wanted to wrestle this big guy style and it makes because when he went to just when he went to wwe i remember him telling me like one of the things was he would do all these cool suplexes on muck and sing that always got over and then we went to wwe and wanted to do them they, they, the, the mentality was well it's not believable for a guy of your size to be throwing around a guy of that right. size so so they you know wanted him to do the underdog stuff so it took away a lot of the repertoire because the stuff that got him over was that muck and sing would go up for his suplexes you know, which for a guy his size, immediately it's like, wow, you know, he must be super strong. And, and he's, he must be a tough guy because he can throw around this, this huge fat guy. 
And he could also throw in those aerial moves, which, you know, yeah, you could do with anyone. But also, like you said, which a lot of people don't really understand, is Muck and Singh was a great base for the aerial moves, so it allowed him to do more with them than if he was working with uh, a smaller guy. It was funny because there's two moves. When I first went to wrestling school and I met Lance Storm, uh, well, the one move, I used to do it with um, Fabuloso Blondie, Ken Timms. You remember him, Fabuloso Blondie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah, Mexico. Sure, Mexico. And a direct ripoff from an Owen Hart spot where – where Muck and Singh bent over for a backdrop. And this is not wrestler exaggeration. You can see this. Owen jumped up onto his back and did a backflip off of Muck and Singh while he was bent over to give him a backdrop. And it's like, there's no rhyme or reason for why you would do it, but it was so damn cool that it's like, I got this idea, Fabuloso Blondie. <laughs> and then the other one that me and Lance used to do all the time, we called it the Owen Hart bum flip, in that you would uh, take each other's hands as if you're going to do like a test of strength, but you only have one side, and you would run with, let's say I was giving it to Owen, I, I would run, Owen would jump straight up into the top rope, kick his legs out, land on like his uh, hamstrings do a backflip over back into the ring and then give you an arm drag or like a kind of a, a an arm drag Mexican arm drag, and it was like right. the most right. incredible thing you'd ever seen at that point in time. I'd never seen anything like this before. That was the one move when he did the first WWE run that he did in every match, and it was the one spot that always got over because nobody in the United States had ever seen it, and it was just right. like you know it was like you know, Phoenix does that move now, but it's it's you know again it's a lot more common, and we're twenty years later. But yeah, the first time. That's that's when he was the original Blue Blazer. I mean, he got over in in a lot of the arenas, real big with no television, just because he did. You know, that would be the first move, and then all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, we don't know this guy, but he must be talented now. And then the rest of the match, you know, he would throw in more stuff like that. So yeah, when he when he had his first run off television, um, just going to the arenas, he got over. You know, really, really big. Him and Warrior came at the same time, and they got over for different reasons before they were ever even on TV. You know, it's interesting because I, I used to go to the arenas every month uh, as a fan, obviously to watch the shows. And I remember this because I was such a big Owen Hart fan. Uh, you would never really know what the card was, and you'd be waiting. You see this guy come out with a mask. He's called the Blue Blazer. Um, and the one thing I noticed is Stampede Wrestling guys always had lightning bolts down down the side of their trunks and three stars on the ass of the trunks. And I remember seeing a guy walk down there and it's like, he's, you know, he, he's built like, like Owen, he's got blonde hair hanging out of the back and he's got the stampede tights. And then when he did the bum flip, I said to my friend, I said, dude, that's Owen Hart. What do you mean? It's Owen Hart. I don't know. I don't know how he got here. That's Owen Hart. He's, he's Owen Hart on the best. Then I went to the hotel afterwards and lo and behold, Owen and, and Brett walked in at the same time. And I remember it being so, so like, I can't believe I figured it out. You know, I was so proud of myself for, for figuring out the cafe. But tell us how, how did he end up going to the WWE the first time? And why did they just put him on TV? Uh, or why did they just put him on house, house shows rather than give him a TV a chance? You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, like the word about, you know, he'd done well in Japan. The word was out. And he did a tryout match with them against um, Hercules Hernandez in North Carolina. And he got over bigger than anyone who had done a tryout match in like a year. So he was offered a deal at that point. And, and his name was pretty big. Like he was, you know, the newsletters and the magazines. So, you know, everyone talked about him like he was, you know, going to be the next big star in the business. So, so he got signed. He did the Blue Blazer thing, just worked prelims. I think they were just waiting, you know, to do something with him on TV. And then for whatever reason, he got over at the house shows with no TV. And I, he just wasn't their pick. I don't even know how to say it. I mean, I'll tell you the story, and almost no one knows this story. So, so 
KTVU, which is like one of the leading independent channels in uh, the United States, and it was their San Francisco channel. Mm. So one of the reporters there was a big Owen Hart fan from from reading my newsletter, and, and you know, and and then you know, find seeing the videos from Stampede Wrestling and things like that. So he wanted he went to WWE, and you know, at this time, the idea that a station like that, the sports department, would do a feature on a pro wrestler, even Hulk Hogan, was you know, very, very rare. And he went to WWE and just goes, I'm going to do something on the Blue Blazer. You know, just do something on him because he's so cool and this and that. And they told him, they go like, we're not promoting him. I mean, it was actually like a, like the kind of publicity they could never get, and it was a no. And that, that was like, oh, boy. this that's, I never thought that, like, WWE, like, that was my, the first time I had heard, because he just goes, like, I, I went there. They just said, no, he's not a guy we're promoting. And I was like, wow, I thought that like, you know, that kind of stuff would help get you over. And instead, it's almost like we've got our guys we want on TV, like Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. And we're not looking for this for for this guy. So at that point, I even kind of thought, hmm, he's not in their plans. He must not be in their plans. And then once he got on TV, they didn't really do much with him. And then he got hurt in a match with Greg Valentine and he was out for a while. And when he came back, they'd moved on. And, and um, he was really frustrated. He was super frustrated there, you know, and he ended up quitting. I was actually, it would have been in the Bay Area, because I was out, I was actually out with him. One of my friends at the time, who was a doctor, who was a physician in attendance at ringside when the commissions would, would, would you know, have that at, at, in the California shows. And he, you know, he was like one of my best friends, and we watched Owen Hart tapes all the time. So he, when he got to meet Owen Hart, it was like, he was more thrilled to meet Owen Hart than he was like, I mean, literally anybody on that roster, Hulk Hogan, I don't care. And he wasn't like a big fan of wrestling, but he was a big fan of Owen Hart. So when he met Owen Hart, when Owen Hart was first coming to the Bay Area there, they hit it off really big. So he just goes, hey, you know, let's just go to the matches and we'll meet, we'll meet Owen and, and everything like that. So like we met him and that was the night he had actually just got, when we met him, he just got off the phone with this long conversation with his dad, telling his dad that, you know, He's going to quit. And he just goes, yeah, I'm quitting. You know, I'm going to go back to Japan. Um, just, you know, and he was, he's joking about it, you know, like, uh, um, you know, he just felt that the thing didn't work. Um, you know, we was going to go back to stampede wrestling in Japan. He was happier there. I mean, he used to, when he worked WWE, uh, WWF, I don't think too many people know this, but he would on his days off when he was in Calgary, he would go to like the spot show in, you know, Red Deer, Alberta, you know, and then because you didn't have an internet, you could do this and nobody would know. And he would go out there and work like a 30 minute match as Owen Hart in really? these small towns just to, to make him happy. You know what I mean? While he's under contract with WWF when he's certainly not supposed to be doing anything like this. Wow. Even like you yeah. said, times were different back then and you could, you could do that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing because you would think that like, like it would somehow come out, but it never, it never did. Like, I didn't even know about it until, you know, it was like a discussion with him. In fact, it was that night where he was just telling me, you know, I'm not that happy. And he goes, you know, you don't know this, but I would, on my days off, I would, you know, go to the small town and, and just as long, I wanted to work a 30 minute match just to make me happy. Cause I, you know, just to have that satisfaction of being, you know, in a main event and doing the style that I like to do. So, you know, when people say he didn't like wrestling, I know that's bullshit. And you know, it's bullshit too. Nobody gets this good. Nobody gets that good in wrestling if they don't like it. Right. But, you know, like anyone with talent where you're not being used, you're, there's going to be that natural frustration. And he had that on the first run there for sure. Well, especially when you know you can do so much more. That's the thing. Right. Brett, you got lucky, but you're going to need more than luck because I was more than lucky. I was better than you. 
And I beat you, brother. And when we fight, and believe me, we'll fight again, it'll be for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. And when I beat you, I'll be the world champion, brother. Let me ask you a quick question. Tell me this is true. You remind me of something about being at a live Owen Hart match. Did Mick, did Mick Foley and Owen one time go to the ring at a San Jose show or, or, or wherever where you were there and intentionally try to San Jose show? Oh, yeah. intentionally try to have a dud to tell us the story. Uh, the story I heard later from Mick was they knew I was there and they wanted to have like the worst match possible, like a negative star match, <laughs> just for their own fun. And okay, so. Here's the thing. Like, I didn't know that they were doing this. I did watch the match and go, they, they took bags of popcorn and they would hit each other with bags of popcorn and sell it like crazy. And it was absolutely preposterous. But it also got over. And also, even those guys trying to be bad, exactly. like they were still like, like it really wasn't like what I would call a bad, it was a ridiculous match. Right. You know, it was like watching two guys do a comedy match, but they're talented guys. Like, it really wasn't anything resembling, like, a negative star horrible match. It was just this, um, you know, it's just, it, was, it was a comedy match that got over. It got over with the crowd. And I remember they, uh, the story, the way I heard the story, I think Mick wrote it. They, they went to the back, and Austin was just like, oh, that was the worst piece of shit match. And they were just happy that Austin said it because, you know, they didn't care about that point. If Austin said it was terrible, but that's good enough for us. Who cares what Dave says? <laughs> well, that was my question. Guys like that, even when they want to be bad, they don't know how to be bad. It's still going to be ridiculous and funny, right? <laughs> but yeah, no, I remember them completely overselling, hitting each other with bags of popcorn, going like, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> well, that was one thing about Owen is he was famous for having a great sense of humor and being one of those guys, much like Kurt Henning, that came from the generation of you had to rib everybody, but their ribs were fun ribs, not like... His, his were funny, not not like, like uh, malicious at all, ever. Right. Like not put Crisco on the stairs so when guys walk down the stairs they slip and fall and you know possibly die. Owen was more of a. Did you ever hear any Owen uh, ribs or were you ever a part of any? Didn't he like bring a, get a horse in a hotel or something once? I don't know if I heard that one or if it was something where he in Vince's office he put a bunch of livestock and farm animals in That's there. That's what it must have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like at, 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 at one of the one of the shows where Vince where Vince was at and he got like all these farm animals. Yeah, stuff like that and. Just a lot of, um, I mean, I remember the, the phone call stuff, you know, where he would call people up and pretend to be other people, and he would do it to his dad all the time, you know, where he'd call his dad up and pretend to be somebody else, and, you know, like that. He called his dad up as Reg Parks, the old school wrestler who's now a belt maker, and uh, and was uh, <laughs> was telling him he could beat him in a shoot. <laughs> and Brett tells us, if you think you're so tough, Reg, then why don't you come try me? <laughs> I got to tell you this story because when you brought up me doing the show, this story flashed in my head. It's a stew story, but it's it's about Owen and Brett too. So this is in Amarillo, Texas. It had to be around '97. People could look this up. It was um, Brett wrestled Terry Funk in, in, in Terry Funk's retirement match <laughs> in Amarillo. It's like it's like Terry's telling me like you know this is it. I'm retiring for the you know 13th time out of 60. Yeah. But um, um, so but he wanted to work with Brett. And the funny part is that they had this big argument because both both demanded to lose. But since it was Terry's show, he got to lose. <laughs> Brett's like, no, it's your retirement match in Amarillo. And Brett's WWF champion at the time, but it's a non-title match. So it's it's your retirement match in your, you know, in your city. I want to lose this match. And Terry's like, no. When you, when you have your last match, you go out on your back because that's how he was taught. You, you, right. You, you 
you losing your retirement match? That was the mentality of guys from his generation. Mm. So they're fighting over that. This has nothing to do with that. So, so I'm ending up somewhere, you know, in the hotel, and it's me, Pat Patterson, and Stu. And we're just talking, and um, this would have been right before Owen started in WWF. Owen was still in Stampede Wrestling at the time. And somehow I brought up, hey, you know, Stu's son, Owen, he's like, awesome. Um, or I think I didn't, I didn't say, I didn't say, you know what? I didn't say son. I mean, I didn't say, I said son, but I didn't say Owen. I go, you know, Stu's son is freaking awesome. And Pat goes, ah, you know, I know Brett. Brett's one of my favorites, right? And I go, um, you know, well, you should see his son, Owen. I was actually talking about Owen because I've been watching all those Stampede tapes. You should see Owen. And so, like, then we talk, and I'd say three to five minutes later, all of a sudden, Stu, who hasn't said a word while I'm talking to Patterson about God only knows what, just goes, that's interesting. I've got a son named Owen. You know, like, <laughs> we were talking about this Owen, and, and he goes, i got a son named Owen. Then about two minutes later, and we're still on subject, he goes, you know what? I've got a son named Brett, too. Like that. <laughs> so, it gets, so it gets better. So then, um, you know, maybe 30 seconds later, you know, he starts, now he's piping up, and he's talking about his son Owen, who Pat, you know, may have heard of, but, you know, has never seen. He just goes, you know, I think my son Owen is, like, the second, he goes, the second best high flyer in the whole world right now, you know, behind that guy in Japan. Uh, what's his name? Sayama. And I go, Stu, Sayama's retired. And then Stu perks up and goes, well, that means my son's the best high flyer in the whole world. (laughs) 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 Well, the thing is he might have well have been, like I said, uh, because he was such a revolutionary and a pioneer doing all these moves. But you mentioned when he quit, I know there was a short little time when he was gone, but what kind of really started that WWE push that made him into, you know, a legit main event draw? That was Brett. So so Pat came up with the idea. Because Owen had been back for a year, few years and he was teaming with Neidhart and teaming with Coco Beware and just basically doing nothing, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, he was he was getting to show more than the first run, but he was just kind of on cruise control. Um, not a star. I remember. I remember they did like uh, when he teamed with uh, Coco Ware, and he's flapping his wings. And I saw him one night, you know, in the Bay Area, and he's like just joking, and he just goes like, uh, "Yeah, I, I, he was talking to some wrestler, and he just goes, yeah, you know, you know, it's like so humiliating. You can be the, you know, like this really good wrestler, and then you come to WWE, and you go out there in front of ten thousand people, and you're flapping your arms like this. <laughs> he goes, ah, God, you know, like he's like making just jokes about his his plight with the company. So, right. So, so. Uh, Pat Patterson comes up with this Cain and Abel story, you know, because he's got, and Pat knows Bruce. So the idea was for Bruce to be jealous of Brett and, you know, come up with this big program where the brothers fight the brothers. And it's, it's a takeoff on Bruno and Zabisco because mm-hmm. Pat was there when the beat of the Bruno Zabisco. And really the Brett Owen angle was very similar, you know, where it was months where the, the, the non-star Zabisco you know, wants the match to prove something. And then when he finally gets the match, he turns on him and bloodies him up and all that, you know, where the other guy doesn't want it because he loves him like a son. And in this case, like a brother. Mm -hmm. And so they go to Brett with the idea and Brett goes, um, I don't want to do it with Bruce, you know, which led to, you know, problems with him and Bruce for years. I don't want to do it with Bruce. It won't work with Bruce. It'll work with Owen. And they're going like, Owen, you know, like they just, they envisioned Owen as a guy who could not be a heel. And it's like, he can't be a heel. And it's like, trust me, I'll make it work. You know, I'm do it with Owen. So, you know, Owen got the spot. And, and that's really where Owen became a big star in WWF. And, you know, Brett put him over at that WrestleMania. And that, 
you know, in those days, I mean, it's one of those funny things where it, it doesn't happen now, but in, in those days, all you had to do is beat Bret Hart at a pay-per-view and snap your fingers. You're a star, you know, and they went and they did the whole summer. They did really good business, you know, so the business wasn't the greatest by, um, Stands of the Hulk Hogan era, but for that era, the Brett Owens stuff drew very, very well. They went to every city because Brett uh, won the championship on the same night that he lost to Owen. Owen beats Brett right. in the opening match of the show, and then Brett comes back in the main event and beats Yokozuna and wins the WWF championship. So you've got the natural Brett Owen match to run all summer long, and it drew because everyone had seen Owen beat Brett in a classic match with no cheating, which was the other thing. It's like, uh, you know, and I'm sure that's Brett's insistence to, you know, put Owen over at that level. And then they did the matches all summer long and did really well. And, you know, I, I think that was probably his biggest, without a doubt, that was his biggest singles run ever was that thing. But it at least got him to where from that point on, he could be tag team champion, intercontinental champion. He could be different. You know, he, you know, he had a lot more credibility coming from the WrestleMania win over Brad. Well, you also got to see his personality, too. He's one of those guys, I think, a lot like I was at basically the same point in time that you're earmarked as, okay, it's a blonde-haired guy, good-looking guy, high flyer, but yeah, he'll never be a heel. But then when given a chance, you just grab the mic and run with it, and Owen was was so good at that. And You mentioned something that was very, very, very true and very relevant in that Brett, uh, when you beat Brett, like when Owen beat Brett, it was so huge. I can even remember the finish, and I've seen 10,000 matches and remember hardly any of them, but I still remember Brett went for the victory roll, and Owen just stopped him halfway through and got him for one, two, three, right? Right, and and the other thing is, is like, honestly, God, I think that's one of the best matches in WrestleMania history. I agree. You know, people forget about that one because it's the same night as Sean and Razor's ladder match, but right. take the ladder out of the equation, Brett and Owen was a way better match. As a wrestling match, it was a better match, but Sean and Razor, the thing with that match was on that at that point in time, and you'll remember this, Yes, that was a revolutionary match just because, you know, there have been ladder matches, but none is spectacular and none is, you know, th- there's a lot of new stuff. Whereas if you watch, I, I mean, I would guess if you watched both matches today now, they would both be fantastic matches, but you would say Bretton Owen was the better match. But, but on that night, Sean and Razor was so spectacular because it was so new that I don't want to say it overshadowed it because everyone knew Brett Nolan was a fantastic match too, but but it, it probably would have gotten more attention if they, you didn't have another match that good on the same show. Well, and like you said, that match that no one had re- ever really seen with the ladder match because it's as crazy as it, as it seems back at that time, like you said, I think there was one ladder match on a Coliseum video that you could rent at a at a movie store, but other than that, no one had really seen a ladder match on that on that big stage. And Sean was at the peak of his powers as well, just being this awesome creative bump machine. So I think you're right, though. They do forget about Owen, but also too, it was such a great caveat because I could just be imagining this, but I don't think so. After Brett beats Yokozuna, you see Owen again, and he's just got this look on his face that even even in beating his older brother. He's still in the shadow of his older brother when, right. the, when the show is over. He still couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, you know, it was a great idea for a storyline because you know, it made perfect sense all the way through. You know, and, and, and again, Brett spent months. One of the reasons why it was so big is Brent spent months turning down the challenge and refusing to wrestle. him, even though Owen was doing everything, including costing him the title with Bob Backlund a couple of months earlier. You know, I mean, Owen was doing everything to um, screw with him. Just great storytelling, too. And, and not to harp on anything is, you know, we don't need to go there. But those times of these 
three-month, four-month, five-month slow builds. There's so few and far between, uh, and they shouldn't be. But I just – like I forgot about that. Brett refused – to do the match, you know, and Stu and Helen were, don't do it. Don't do it. You can't fight your brother. And finally he did. So you were waiting for it and hoping to see the match before you ever got it, which just made it that much more special when it went down. But, but you or me or anyone could understand Brett's motivation. It's like, it was real motivation. It's like, do you really want to fight your brother? You know what I mean? So it's like, even though your brother wants to fight you, do you really want to fight your brother? Especially not, you know, play fight, but like, you know, in Madison Square Garden fight, right? Yeah. So he's like, like, even though Owen was the heel and he was doing everything wrong, you could in your mind, it's like it was, it held water because like Owen's really talented, but he's kind of gotten nowhere. And Brett's like, you know, the biggest star, one of the two or three biggest stars in the company. And you, you could see where Owen's coming from, but you could see where Brett's coming from. Um, Owen was the heel in doing it, but you understood his motivation and Brett, was kind of like the, you know, what the baby face would do. You know, it's like, I don't want to fight my little brother, mm-hmm. you know, like type of thing. Until he was like basically forced into accepting the match. And then at the point, and you, you know, like everyone, because Brett was a big star and Owen was a mid-carder, when they did the match, everybody just, it was the opening match on the show. And everyone just figured, you know, Brett, Brett Hart's not losing the opening match on the show. He's coming back for, you know, the main event, right? So... Right. And then he lost, and that's why I think that's that magnified the value of that win. I just wanted to mention this, too, because I was actually in, I remember watching that. I was in Smoky Mountain Wrestling at the time, and we went to some, I don't know, some kind of like sports bar or something that was showing WrestleMania, me and Lance and Chris Candido and Tammy. And, and then that's also when Brian Lee was there. And then they, he went to WWE to kind of be the, the evil undertaker, the fake, they called him the faker taker. Right, 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 for the SummerSlam that year. And that was the double main event with Brett versus Owen. Now they had... Oh, the cage match, yeah. Cage, and I'm actually reading here, I have on Wikipedia, that says you gave it a five-star rating. Oh, the Brett-Owen cage match. That, that match was one of the best cage matches I'd ever seen up to that point in time. Although they went so long. Some people thought they went too long, but I, I just loved the fact that you just... They teased that both guys could win so often. It was I, I loved that match, yeah. Well, the fact that you gave it five stars back in 1995 or whatever it was, you know, nowadays they're much much easier to come by, but that was like a once in a, you know, three or four month span that you'd get one of those, never mind in the States. Usually you might get a few in Japan. Yeah, but. yeah like Sean, Sean, Sean and Razor probably was the previous one. I, I, I'll bet you there wasn't one between, you know, I, I don't know, I'd have to look it up. But, but I mean, I remember Sean and Razor, and I gave Brett and Owen four and three quarters, only because I, you know, I mean, whatever. You could have given that one five too, honestly. Sure. And then, but the Brett Nolan, yeah, the cage match in Chicago, yeah. But I remember like you mentioned the cage going too long, or or, or long, shall we say? Did that cause some problems with Taker? Because I remember Taker versus Faker. Taker was very fast. They were second to the last, and Taker and Brian Lee were last. And Taker and Brian Lee had a real short match because Brett Nolan went way long. Yeah, yeah, that happened. I wonder if there was, was there any issue? Did you ever hear any heat about that from, from Taker's side? I think that there was a little bit, but it was one of those things where um, when it was over, it was kind of like Brett and Owen's match was so great and Taker and Brian Lee's match was so not great that you kind of like look in hindsight and go, well, I guess it turned out okay, even though, yeah, you're taking time off of the main event, but that main event wasn't, you know, the Taker-Brian Lee thing just didn't get over. It really didn't. So it, right. I guess that's kind of how it was looked at is – well, in hindsight, it ended up being better, but yeah, maybe you shouldn't. You know, maybe you shouldn't have done that. I mean, the rule of thumb is is you don't go whatever it is. I don't. I forget how many minutes long, but it was a significant amount of time long. 
it, you know, like it could have been like seven or seven to 10 minutes. I remember one time I went long for some match and it was a really good one. And that's why you go long sometimes when you got it, you know, and I remember Vince said to me, he said, if you ever go that long on one of my shows again, it better be as good as that last match was. Oh, wow, that's great. That's great. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So when, when Owen and, and Brett were kind of done that you mentioned Owen, then he went and became like a kind of a seminal tag team guide with Yokozuna and Dave boy Smith. Did Vince just not see him as a, as a singles main event heel on his own? If Brett wasn't involved. Yeah, I think so. I think it was one of those things where he was good, but you know, again, he wasn't big and you had like all those big guys still, you know? So mm. I think that, and especially on the heel side, maybe he didn't like smaller heels. And, you know, again, there was like, even, even like, again, just someone who I was very friendly with Owen, it was like, in my mind watching at the time, I never saw Owen as like that big heel threat. I mean, with Brett, yes, but afterwards it was kind of like, well, this is his role. Um, you know, cause he like, like he didn't have a lot of guys he could work with after Brett that were that good, mm-hmm. you know, like, like if it would have been four years later when that influx of great talent came in, I think that like when I, when I remember, you know, like when I would think back and go, well, God, he could have worked like on top or intercontinental level with all of these guys for five years straight right. going through one after the other, after the other. And it would be. You know, he would be like, uh, you know, a, a steamboat level guy for years and years and years. That was when I was thought of, you know, it, it could have happened. It just, you know, unfortunately, because what happened, it, it never happened. Well, like you said, there wasn't a lot of those type of guys to work with, too. But he was always one of those guys. Like, I even thought about it, uh, you know, at length after he passed away. I and mean, He always had a spot. He was one of those guys that would always be, I guess you'd call him a featured member of the roster. Maybe not a main eventer, but always had something going on. Yeah, well, he was a he was a great talent, and you know they used Cornette with him to manage him because Cornette was a great talker for a while, and you know him and Davey, like look, him and Davey were a great tag team. Yeah, you know, I mean, remember uh, was it him and Davey against uh, was it Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels on Raw? Yes, I think that was the match where Shawn had come back from the knee injury and he was just on fire. Oh my God! I mean, I remember that. That's but yeah, you know he he had he when he was in there with top guys. You know, he he was there, and, and, and again, you know, one of the things, you know, with the Sean thing, you know, there's, in, in 97, so so Brett has the big falling out with Vince, Survivor Series and all that, and Owen, you know, that becomes a real weird thing, because, okay, they did this to your brother, but you're under, like, a long-term contract at the same time, that Davey's furious, he just wants out, and they let Davey go, and Owen, I don't know that Owen was furious, and I don't know, but he was, he was, he was torn, because it's like, you know, you know how adamant Brett was, how furious Brett was over it. And even though Eric Bischoff will say the opposite, because he would always, oh, we never wanted Owen. And it's like, yeah, yeah, tell me Bullshit. that. Like, I'm going to believe you didn't want Owen. Like, you know, even though Owen Hart wasn't top, top guy in WWE, it's like, like you just said, he's a guy that any promotion would want because you can count on him for any role and he's always going to be good. And plus with the talent that they had in WCW in like 98, come on. I mean, Owen Hart would have been, you know, just, great in that role but you know Vince wasn't you know for that reason Vince wasn't going to let him go I think Vince thought that Davey was whatever it was you know I, I maybe more problems maybe more bitter because Owen wasn't bitter at the time so he gives Owen the big raise and I, I remember the big pitch to him was you're going to beat Shawn Michaels and you're going to be the star you know Brett was the Canadian star that's what their mentality was mm-hmm. he's the Canadian star Owen is going to be the Canadian star and we're going to market him as the guy who the young, he's younger than Brett he's 
more high-flying than Bret, whatever. He's the new Bret Hart, the new Canadian star while Bret went to WCW. And the way to do that was perhaps to have him beat Sean, who everybody who had all that heat from the Canadians sure. because of the Bret Hart thing. So it made like perfect sense. And then Sean breaks his back immediately and they never do the program. And then they, then Owen just flitters out, you know, and does nothing again. Is that what happened? Sean broke his back. Cause I remember, I remember when he came back on raw and once again, now I'm in WCW, I'm in the thick of all this. And he came back, he had like a beard. He was wearing like this black track suit. He attacked Sean from behind and beat the shit out of him. And right, it was like, except the Sean and um, Shamrock match maybe, but I just remember the attack. Yeah. At the announcer's table. He's right there. It's like, he, it doesn't matter what he was before. As we know, this business is all timing. Now, like you said, he's avenging not just Shawn Michaels, but the evil empire of the McMahons. And you know he's got the personality to do it, and he's got the fans behind him. I could never figure out why they didn't go all the way with that. I mean, they did, and then they just dropped it. You know, they did some stuff with him and Hunter, and yeah. it, it just, it, 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 it was, we don't... Um, I remember, because as a fan watching it, like the scripting of the interviews, it was like Hunter always got the last word on him, so it kind of made Owen I, I, kind of yeah. uncool, and I I could just feel watching it that it's like, ah, it's just he's not going to get over the way they want uh, because they're making him, you know, just to be not cool enough, and he had to be this cool avenging angel thing. And, it, and, and then after that, you know, they ended up with, teaming with Jeff Jarrett, which was fine. They were a good team, but it was not the feud with Shawn Michaels, you know, over the, it was going to be the European championship because Shawn had the European title because Steve Austin was going to be the WWE champ, WWF champion. Mm-hmm. But Shawn would, was, and then Shawn just dropped the European title. This is before he got hurt. And I thought almost like, ah, oh, he's dropping the European title to get out of this feud with Owen. I can just smell it. Right. And then they, they did this thing and then Shawn got hurt. So it's like, I always say like, I'll never know if Sean was going to put him over on all those pay-per-views right. like they told him. And they even told me, it's like, you know, we're going to make Owen into the next Bret Hart. He's going to beat Sean on a pay-per-view. And as soon as he beats Sean, you know, he's a made man. And like I said, like it was going to be after WrestleMania because he had to lose to Austin first. So I'll never know if it would have happened or not, you know, but that's what was planned at the time. But Dave, either, either, you know, Sean and Hunter, let's face it, they were a, a united front. Either they would put Owen over to the most of their abilities just to spite Brett, or they would sandbag it and sabotage it just to spite Brett. I thought it was the latter. Strong. Yeah. I strongly thought watching the TV that was building all this up, because I knew where they were going, that it was the latter, that it was, we're going to make him out to be, you know, less whatever. And so they're not going to go in this direction after WrestleMania after all. Because by the time they got to WrestleMania... You know, I, I knew Sean was hurt, and I knew he would be out for a while. I didn't know it was going to be four years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was completely convinced by then, you know, by WrestleMania, that Owen was never getting that push. What about the eight-man tag team war? Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and the New Age Outlaws take on Stone Cold, Cactus Jack, Chainsaw Charlie, and Owen Hart. You know, this whole thing started off as just a personal issue between me and Degeneration X. That's right, you Hunter and Shawn Michaels in China. But it's become a whole lot more personal. And to give you an idea of how bad I want you at No Way Out of Texas, I got some lunatics in my corner. Real lunatics. I got Cactus Jack, Mankind, I don't know what the hell his name is, Terry Funk, and Stone Cold Steve Austin, a guy that I can't even trust in my corner. Well, the New Age Outlaws and Degeneration X, that's how bad I want all of you. And when I get you in Houston, Texas, 
I am going to destroy you because there is no way out. And I got three lunatics in my corner that want you equally as bad. Now this has been building up every week. You guys are poking your nose in our business. And we're letting it all build up. We're saving it all. Because when we get to Houston, Texas, there is no way out. And we are going to get the job done. Let's talk quickly about what happened with Steve and Owen. You mentioned Steve Austin. They had a little bit of an issue as well, or a big issue. Big issue, yeah. Because Owen dropped him with that version of a pile driver, sit out pile driver, and broke Austin's neck. You know, which nearly, really nearly ended Austin's career. And without a doubt, shortened his career greatly because he only he only wrestled a couple more years. And um, the way I remember it is that... Um, Owen never checked on him, and he was always told to check on him. And I'm, you know, Owen wasn't a bad guy, so I almost think that it's, I don't know if he like he didn't know what to say or whatever. But Austin was very bitter at him for yeah. for for years, and I can I can I can get it from from the Austin standpoint in the sense that, okay, it was an accident, obviously. And, and the thing is, Owen suggested the move. Austin was trepidatious about doing the move, and Owen was to say, "I pulled this move off a million times. You got nothing to worry about." And then he ends up nearly ending the guy's career. And he never calls. And it's like, so I could see from an Austin standpoint, you know, that's, that's a tough one. He should have, you know, he should have called and there's no, there's no explanation, but, but yeah, he never did. Yeah. And if I, if I recall the way that Owen gave him the pile driver too, was almost backwards. And what I'm saying is like, if you, if you think of like a tombstone pile driver, the way that, 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 um, I'm just watching right now. Yep, exactly. Okay, so when you're doing a, t- a tombstone pile driver, like the way Undertaker does for people that don't know, you you pick the guy up and you go down on your knees. That's that's way number one, where the guy's where the guy's face is almost like in your crotch. Number two is if the guy's bent over like a backdrop, you pick him up to where his face is facing outwards. You fall down onto your ass. Those are the two ways to do a pile driver. I just watched it right now. Owen picks him up like a tombstone pile driver and falls down onto his ass. I've never seen a pile driver like that, nor have I taken one like that before. I don't know why he did it that way. It's very strange. He done. I had seen him do that move, but very rarely. Right. I've seen that move in Japan. God, but like not. And you know what? Not even that exact move. I remember um, the Steiner move. Scott Steiner did a move in Japan that every time I saw it used to scare me to death. Um, the Steiner Square Driver, which he rare, he rarely did in the United States, but he did in New Japan almost all the time. Mm-hmm. And I guess nobody got hurt, but um, that's what it sort of reminded me of. Um, but yeah, it was it was not a typical normal move. But you know, they were in an Intercontinental Title match on a pay per view, and I think in their minds, you know, they were looking to have like a killer match, and they were having a great match until they had to, you know, and then they had to botch the ending, and Owen had to basically pin himself because Austin was yeah. paralyzed which actually takes a lot of talent when you think about it. Because, right. you know, at the time watching, it's like, you know, this looks kind of bad. But in hindsight, it's like, you know, Owen literally like cradled, you know, fell over, tripped over him to allow Austin to touch him, to cradle him, to get a pin because Owen knew Austin was being groomed for big things and Austin had to win that match. I mean, mm. was, and so, I mean, he, you know, rather than just X and let's get out of here and stop it, they, they gave the people the finish. and. um you know, but yeah, Austin was hurt, and in 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 a weird way, because of that injury, and because Austin already was hot, they had to come up with creative ways to book Austin at that point because he couldn't wrestle. Right. So every week, but that was a big part because Austin really super got over in January '98 with the Mike Tyson thing, I think, in Fresno, and mm-hmm. then just build up to WrestleMania. But I think that period 
in, in its own way, it shortened Austin's career for sure. You know, probably, I'm sure he's still feeling the effects of it today. Yeah. But it also, I think, did speed up his getting over. I think he would have anyway, but it forced the create the create the creative team of Vince McMahon to get this guy in a special way because he wasn't doing matches. So you had to do all those famous skits that everyone remembers yeah. now. And that really made Austin a larger than life superstar. It's kind of like a weird, you know, so much in wrestling, you know, it's like weird and happenstance. Like, you know, so much of it is planned, but the biggest things, if you look at like, you know, like Hulk, Hulkamania was hundred percent planned and all that, right? Steve Austin, even to an extent, the rock, but Steve Austin in particular was, it just happened. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, Sure. You know what I mean? It wasn't like we go, hey, Steve Austin's coming in from WCW. He's a talented guy. Yep. We're going to make him the biggest star in wrestling. It's like nobody had that mentality. It just happened. And it was a series of things the, you know, the Brett match at Mania and then the broken neck causing him to, to do all this. And, and, you know, voila, in 98, all of a sudden, Steve Austin takes off and WWF takes off like nobody's business. Well, I mean, it's, you know, I never would have become the undisputed champion if Triple H hadn't torn his quad. I mean, right. those Perfect things example. happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, as, as I think about kind of the later years of Owen's career and you mentioned Austin and I have to point out, I remember at his tribute when the, when Owen passed away, they had a tribute show and Steve didn't say anything. He just drank a beer and left the beer in the ring because I think he still had, like you said, those bitter feelings about Owen, but yet they still had probably the last classic match of Owen's career, which was the five on five at Spring Stampede, oh, Calgary, Calgary match. Yeah, I mean that was one of the best matches. Oh, what a what a great what a great show that was. I mean that's like when if, if you guys you know if this is in '97 in the summer of '97. Um, it was the was it the the Calgary Stampede? Canadian yeah, I think they called it. St- yeah, I think they just called it Calgary Stampede pay per view or something like that. Right. So you should look that up if you've never seen this. This show it's like a you know two and a half hour show. It's not that long. And that main event is fantastic, but the whole show from start to finish, at that point in time, I thought that was the best WF pay-per-view ever, up to that point in time. I think there's been better ones since, but because it was it was so funny because it's like this role reversal thing, because to all the Americans watching, I mean, Steve Austin was the super babyface at this point, Brett is the super heel, but they go to Calgary and you got Brett and Brian Pillman and Owen and uh, Neidhart, Damn. and you know every one of those guys either was a Calgary native Davey or a transplanted Calgary guy who started their career in Calgary. So to the, to the fans in Calgary, these are the super baby faces going against the Americans that are screwing with Brett. And we know that they're supposed to be the heels, but we're going to be behind them. And they were behind them like nobody's business. And we, you and I talked about this. I mean, Brian Pillman that after that match just goes, this was the greatest night of my career. Yeah. Because like, and, and Brian was the one who was, was hated the idea that they were going to play babyface in Canada. He thought, this, this is stupid. We, we've got to be consistent. And then he went up there and was like, oh, Brett was right. He goes, this is the greatest night of my career. And, and the, the beauty, beautiful part was they could go back to the United States and they were still heels. And that was the beauty. Exactly. It's actually called Canadian Stampede uh, is what was when it happened. It was July 1997. I was actually there because uh, I was off that day and I, I got in major trouble from Bischoff for going to the WWE pay-per-view because he thought I was trying to get a job, which wow. I was under contract, but I was trying to definitely get my face shown <laughs> for sure. <laughs> the first time I ever met Vince McMahon actually was back there. But um, loudest crowd, one of the loudest crowds I've ever heard in my life for that match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and for the, for the whole show, but especially that match. And that match probably went 30 minutes. And they never, 
they, the crowd never lost their energy. I mean, it was on fire the whole match. Steve got arrested and he was given the fingers. He was in handcuffs and he was given the finger to Stu Hart. And it was just one of those moments where you just remember all of these really cool things happening. And like you said, because the Hart Foundation was so over. And I liked that version of the Hart Foundation with all five of the guys and they look cool. And like you said, they all had the lineage back to Calgary. It was probably the last... I would say even to a certain extent, the last great thing that Bret Hart ever did, um, you know, after all the stuff that happened, we went to WCW, nothing he did ever lived up to that for sure. At that level, you know, um, I mean, he did good stuff after, but, but that was a different level. Yeah. That was, a, that was a major level of great. Well, you know, that was a couple months. Yeah. Cause the, the Bret Austin match would have been what March, April, I think March, or something yeah. was March that year. And then this is July. So, yeah. The time has come, Shawn Michaels. This weekend in your house in Louisville, Kentucky, you've got to get in the ring with Owen Hart, the man that nearly put you out of business for good last time. And this time, your precious World Wrestling Federation title shot's on the line. We go to Jim to do exactly what we wanted. And now, he's going to go to WrestleMania. <laughs> There's no doubt about it, Shawn Michaels. Two things are going to happen at In Your House. First of all, I am going to end your career like I should have done the first time. And the second one, I'm going to WrestleMania the WWF title. <laughs> Let's kind of talk a little bit more as we wind down here about uh, about the over the edge pay per view and kind of the way it was handled and all that sort of stuff. And maybe you have some stories about it. But I remember watching it. Like I said, I'd already decided to leave to go to to WWE, and this was in May of once well, like you said, May twenty third, nineteen ninety nine. I knew that I think it was August first. I was now with WWE, so I was watching WWE to kind of check out the show and see what's going on. And I remember, oh, Blue Blazers on next. He's against the Godfather. I'll check it out. It's probably not going to be great, but I like Owen Hart. And he did kind of a pre-match promo. And then they did some kind of a, a ring announcement or something. And I remember there was just nothing. There was just crowd shots for about three or four minutes. And just thinking, like, what's going on here? Like, something's not right. And then, of course, they go over to, to, to Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross, very stone-faced, saying that there was an accident and Owen Hart's been taken to the hospital. Were you watching that live like I was? Oh, of course, I was watching it live. So at first, it's WWE, you know what I mean? So I've got the mentality of, oh, you know, what angle is this, right? right. And then they brought Jeff, Jarrett, and Deborah in. And Jeff, who was really close friends with Owen, is barely able to talk, and Deborah couldn't, right? She's just crying. And it's like, oh, God. This is like really bad. I mean, immediately, I, until I saw Jeff and Deborah, I just thought it was an angle. And then when I saw Jeff, and even though um, I think Jim Ross actually said this is not part of the entertainment, he, he did some code word where I should have thought that it was real, but it's still WWF, right? Mm -hmm. So, but when, Jeff, when I saw Deborah and Jeff, it was like, oh my God, this is like so real. And I remember, um, God, Brett was on an airplane. So I called like, Marcy, who was Brett's assistant, like immediately. And I go, there's something really bad happened. And I go, and it's, I know it's not an angle. And I think she told me, because Brett, Brett was going to do the Jay Leno show. If, as, as I recall, Brett was in the air flying to do the Jay Leno show when this is going on, because he lands in Los Angeles to do the Jay Leno show. Because in those days, again, you don't have cell phones and texts. And even now, you know, even if you do, half the time the internet doesn't work when you're on the plane, right? So he lands on the plane, and that's when he finds out what happened. And I remember, and, and Terry Funk called me right after, and, and Terry loved Owen Hart. Right. Okay, he just loved Owen Hart, and he just goes, "It's an angle," 
And I go, Terry, it's not an angle. And Terry says, it's got to be an angle. It's, it's this, this super strong denial. Yeah. I think it's, it's got to be an angle. It's got to be an angle. I go, Terry, I, I swear, I don't think it's an angle. And then whatever it is, you know, later in the show, they come in there and they say, Owen Hart died. And it was before they said that, because I actually called Marcy back up, right? You know, I'm on the phone. I, I barely am watching the show because the phone's just ringing back and forth. And I call Marcy up. They're about to switch to, to Lawler. And, and by this point, I'd also heard from someone at the hospital who just kind of like said, like, you know, he's not going to make it. But, they, you know, and I, and, and I kind of had this block of, oh, he's in, I know he's in bad shape, but I didn't want to think he's not going to make it. But I yeah. was. Nobody dies in wrestling. Yeah. But, but they go. I just remember this. I'm on the phone with Marcy Engelstein to, to give the message to Brett, who's on the flight. And they go to Lawler and Ross, and I look at Ross's face, and I know Ross, and I go, this is before he says a word, I go, oh my God, Marcy, Ross is going to tell us that Owen died. And then Ross immediately goes, I have this like horrible news, Owen died, and I just like freaked out, you know what I mean? That, that, that was basket case the rest of the night. But um, yeah, I remember that, I remember that way too well. I remember the first guy I called about it was, was Chris Benoit. I don't think Chris was watching it. I think Chris was working somewhere, and we are just kind of discussing what had happened, but I remember that the, and just kind of reading about it right now is he was supposed to do a thing where, where the, the cord that he was coming down on the, the wire, the line stopped like five feet above the ring or four feet above the ring. You're supposed to be suspended and, and not being able to get out of the thing or something, right? Right. Yeah. So then he finally bungles and stumbles and releases himself and falls like two feet, like, oh, what a buffoon, which is why he had these very, apparently very easily to release hooks and harnesses on there the snap shackle was was like a was 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 a, was a snap release it was like it was essentially less safe than the, the, the than the one sting did because you couldn't do what they wanted to do the way you would do a sting it would take too long and it would miss mess up the timing so that's what why it happened yeah i mean it's it's, it's so interesting you know once again thinking back on this 20 years later and how much things have changed and how much you know i, I still remember just the, the controversy of Continuing the show, which we spoke about, but then the controversy of the whole funeral. Uh, I remember WWE paid for it all, and 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 but then right. filmed it all as well and used it as we put it on television, even though she didn't want it on television. So did they even? There was ask- so much controversy, but, you know. And I mean, to this day, you know, I, I'm sure I haven't talked to Martha Hart in in God, I can't even remember how long, but I'm sure that like you know she, you know, and 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 again, sometimes people like like I I try to look at things from from her perspective. I know that there's things like blocking DVDs where it's like, I can understand when you're a fan and she doesn't want WWE to do a DVD, but it's her life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And her life more than, more than even Brett or anyone, not that, you know, Brett, Brett was another one, but you know, they were affected, but she had two young kids and this was her guy. You know, she'd been with him for years and years and years and her, her life and happiness was taken away from her because of, you know, this thing that happened and it wasn't malicious, but, it happened, and, and she was very, very bitter at Vince. And I, I get that. Your whole life is just, I don't know, ruined. She did the best with it. She created the Owen Hart Foundation. She made a great life for herself as much as she could. She never married again. Mm-hmm. I know that. So um, she, you know, went to school and, and, you know, got, you know, great education. 
But, you know, at the same time, it's like, you know, the rest of the heart, she, she separated herself from all of them. So, so literally those kids like never saw their aunts and uncles. Yeah. Or their cousins. Because of everything that happened afterwards. It's a real, that part's a real sad story. It's sad to me because I know I've spoken with Natty about this and TJ, uh, Natty and TJ, obviously the Nightheart for years. And, and they've reached out to Oge, who's, who's the son. And, you know, I, I think... I understand Martha's point and I get all that, but to me too, and this is, this is just, just my opinion. This is obviously means nothing, but as a guy who grew up wanting to get into wrestling because of Owen Hart, I think it's a shame that there's a whole new generation of fans uh, who don't know who this guy is and don't know how brilliant he was and how influential he was as a performer. And I also wonder if his kids might not want to know a little bit about their father from his peers or from people who feel the same way that I do uh, or fans that feel the same way that I do, because I'm not going to deny such a tragic ending, but when it comes to his life, he was one of the best, especially at that time frame in the world, one of the best at what he did. And it's just a shame to me that that legacy is, is kind of being forgotten about uh, among all these other things. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's so, there's so many tragedies. I mean, I remember like the other one that I just, I hated and, you know, kind of being, uh, you know, I don't think in the middle, well, I was in the middle and I can't even say kind of, I was in the middle, you know, with when the, the lawsuit and some side with Vince and some side with Brett, you know, and who side with Martha and then, you know, like, you know, um, because I, I consider Ross Hart like a really good friend. Mm-hmm. And I know Keith a little bit. Keith was trying to be neutral. You know, Bruce was on the other side. You know, you had the, the kids like Natty. Um, I, I don't know if by then she wanted to be a wrestler, but Harry certainly did, you know, even at that young age. You know, this is early 2000s. And it, it's just the way that thing went down. And, you know, WWE played upon it, you know, without a doubt that you had the, the, the family that needed WWF. And the family, you know, the, the ones who tried to stay neutral. And then you had, you know, Brett, who was very adamant um, about it. And Martha, who was very adamant about it. And the lawsuit tore the family. And then, you know, Stu and Hart are older and their their kids are fighting with each other over this lawsuit. You know, and they're in their, I guess, 80s probably, yeah. right? Stu was born in 1915-ish. This right, is, sure. Um, this is 99, 2000. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's like, he's like 86, 87. So it's like, you know, it was... That was a real tragedy. The way that that whole thing went down, they, uh, that was just horrible. You know, and like you said, because because yeah, yeah, once again, it just bothers me because we, the thing with Owen about Owen is, and I only ever met him once, twice. Really? Once, yeah, once in an airport. Wow, I would have thought you know just because of I know where dude. you started and everything that you know. I mean, I know you. I know you got to WWF and he was after he died, but I just would have thought that you were semi friends with him so to speak i never never ran into him in new japan because he was like you figure he was in wwe from you know 90 88 or whatever it was except for those he was in mexico for minez uwa which i never was there at the same time never ran into him in new japan so i saw him once in an airport because i lived in calgary obviously as did the guys and the one great memory i have is i got to fly from calgary to Los Angeles. I was on my way to go to Japan. He was on his way for a pay-per-view and we sat together for the whole flight. And I remember we just, we had a great conversation, talked for the three hours. Uh, and I think both of us wanted to kind of go to sleep, but we had a really great conversation. 
And I remember, uh, like, especially then, who flies to a pay-per-view day of the show? And that's what he was doing. He said, Brett's mad at me because if I'm late, I'm in trouble. But he would want to spend as much time at home as he could. And all he had was a little hand carry bag. I said, why is that? He said, because when I get home, I don't want to wait for my bags. I just want to go straight through customs and go home. Wow. You know, and, and the one advice he gave me that I still use to this day, and this was back in 1994, was uh, we were talking about being late for the airport and about how much stress there is. He said, always get there early. Get there 10, 20 minutes early rather than 5, 10 minutes late. Get there early. Have a coffee. You can relax. And I still always do that. I get to the airport probably 20 minutes earlier than I should, which is early, so I don't have to worry about it and have that coffee and just uh, thank Owen Hart for the advice. <laughs> wow. And you probably never missed a flight. Well, you know, you do once in a while, but uh, usually if there's <laughs> drinking involved. But <laughs> but the, the thing about Owen, too, is he had this whole legion. Uh, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. This whole legion of fans who, once again, because Owen – saved as much money as he could. I don't know if he was cheap or whatever, but he would have a fan pick him up, drive him around, and he would stay at their house. Yep. I know people like I know people like that in, in many cities. Some of my friends were were like that. And, and you know like like that's why like when Owen died it was so hard on so many yes. people because yeah, Owen's thing was to save on hotel rooms and he had I mean I don't know how many, but I know of a few in different parts of the country where Owen would come to town and they would just love to hang around with him. And he was always nice. He'd stay at their house. And yeah, just to say as, as a way to save money, you know, I'm sure there's like that, that, that mixed thing, because like you said, he really liked being home um, and wrestling then especially was so hard mm-hmm. in the sense of the travel, you know, and the number of days on the road. But, you know, like when people like, I mean, I mean, Martha did say like, Oh, he was looking to get out, but my mentality always was he was, you know, he, he was so good. And it's like, we'll see guys get out of wrestling. And, and you did too, but it was, you wanted to go into music or you want to go into acting. You know what I mean? It's like you, you have something that you want to do. But with Owen, you know, it's like, I think she wanted him to be a fire. You know, there's a, you know the story that, that um, at one point she wanted him to be a fireman. So he would be home and have a regular job. Mm-hmm. And he took, I think Keith was a fireman, but he took, you know, the classes. But whatever reason, he didn't get hired as a fireman. And I always wonder, like, he never would have been happy doing that. I just know, I mean, I don't know him. I never spoke to him about it, but my, my thought was, is you don't get so good at this. And, and I knew him well enough to know that when you would talk wrestling with him, you know how some people, if you talk wrestling, they just want to brush you off. uh, Yeah. yeah. He was the opposite. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like he would love to talk and you don't do that unless you love wrestling and you don't, you don't get matches that good unless you like think and think, you know, like, and, and guys today don't anyway, but in that era, you know, you knew guys were just, eh, I'll do my eight minutes and not even think about the match, just kind of remote control do it. And he was never that guy. So I think when, when you, when he says that he wants to get out of it or whatever, it's probably because of boredom uh, or not being creatively stimulated and fulfilled. I believe that when guys started coming in, like guys from my generation and, you know, edge and those guys started getting more and more steam. I think Owen would have come out of uh, whatever retirement or every sabbatical he was taking. Cause once again, let's remember this, we're talking about this guy's career and how much stuff he did. He was only 34 years old. He could have left for five years, come back, and still not even been 40 years old. And guys that good don't get worse that quickly. He would have been just as good working with guys that could have pushed him, which would have made him enjoy and love the business once again. Without a doubt, I, I would say 
until the late, you know, yeah, he would have probably had, and I, I don't know that he would have taken five years off. I think that he would have probably had sure whatever it was eight eight to ten real good years, and then after that, you know, who knows? But yeah. eight to ten real good years, and 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 really, aside from the Brett thing, because the Brett thing was real special. I think those agents, you know, the last five of those eight to ten years, or last six of them, would have been the best six years of his career. I agree. Last two questions for you, Dave. Do you think he would ever a be put into the WWE Hall of Fame uh, from Vince's end, and B, would Martha uh, ever allow that to happen? Well, that's the thing. I think I think Vince would do it tomorrow, even with the circumstances and the story. I think you know, I, I you know, and Martha, I don't know that she would ever allow it, and that becomes a real, you know, it becomes a real weird mm-hmm. thing. That's why the only reason he's not in is because of Martha. You know, Martha really hates the company, hates the idea of them profiting Winston over Owen's name. Um, that's just her mentality on it. You know, I get where she's coming from. You know, I get the other side. You know, Brett's real strong on that one. You know, as far as like Owen should be in the Hall of Fame, he should get that due. And he should, you know, without a doubt. You know, I mean, people, you know, people of this generation, because again, got 20 years. So you've got a whole giant generation of fans who maybe have heard the name, but never saw him in his context, maybe saw a match of his. And, and you know, Guys like you and, and that grew up watching him and guys, you know, that from that generation who worked with him and knew him better, you know, it's like there's a lot of great stories, you know, with him. And and he deserves to be – he does deserve to be mentioned yes. in that context, you know, as one of the all-time greats, without a doubt. He deserves to get the message uh, – to get that mention. I think his, his kids deserve to see that and really understand, like, oh, wow – my dad really was something because as much as it was taken away from them uh, losing him at such a young age, I think to get this kind of a little bit of a, of a, of a closure from it and realize like the business that took my dad's life, he was also really, really good at it. And people really uh, 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 revel him for that uh, skill that he had. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a real good point because I think, you know, especially with, like the kids would be what twenty four and twenty two now, right? I think so, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's like you know now you're old enough, and also you're going to be curious enough because they probably don't remember because I don't remember anything. No. You know, when I was two years old, and, and almost nothing when I was four. And I know Brian Brian Pillman's son. When I met him, I mean, when I talked with him, it's like he legitimately. I think he you know he remembers nothing about his father. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, if you watch him. You can see he absolutely idolizes his father, but he has gotten that satisfaction of being around wrestling and being told, you know, over and over and mm-hmm. over by wrestlers. I grew up with your father from by his contemporaries of what a you know genius his father was. And Owen's kids, you know, I don't think they ever got that. And and I know like if it was like my dad in that situation, I think that's something that would make you. you I I would wish somehow, and I don't know if they do or they don't, but I would wish that they would have that knowledge of like. Hey, you know, your dad was more than just a pro wrestler who died. I mean, your dad was a, you know, a really, really great pro wrestler and one that had like universal respect because, you know, like I never heard anyone say anything bad about Owen personally. Everybody liked the guy, you yes. know, good personality, funny guy. You know what I mean? You know, you didn't, he didn't have, he didn't have a bunch of enemies lying around saying, oh, he's a backstabber and this and that. I mean, he really had a universally tremendous reputation. Yeah, nobody talks bad about him. And maybe maybe when Vince is gone, maybe Martha will reconsider with Hunter and maybe they could do some kind of a donation. Any profits from this Hall of Fame that Owen Hart makes, including a portion of ticket sales, will go to Owen's you know, uh, foundation. I mean, hopefully something like that can, can happen. That's, because- a, great, 
that's that's a great idea too. Yeah, and yeah. Hopefully, yeah. You know what? Hopefully, there can be some compromise on that. And and again, from from her standpoint, I don't want to say nothing bad about her for obvious reasons because sure. she had to live through this. But it may be healthier because no, you know, it, it was a horrible thing that happened to her, and I get that. But um, you know, it's it's not like. I know that like there's a part of her that doesn't like the industry because of it, but it's really not a bad industry per se. You know what I mean? It's just, and, and it's, it's a great industry, you know, as far as entertainment, it's entertainment to millions and millions. And he was great at it. You know, there's, it's not like a low rent thing, you know, it's just, that's, it's just what wrestling is. And, and from childhood, he probably wanted, he was, I mean, look, it was his life for the whole 34 years because unlike you and me, he grew up in that house. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it was like, it was his life from childhood. Not, he didn't come he didn't like find it at like nine, ten, or eleven, and then it became his life. You know, it was his life and and the amateur stuff. And he was a great. You know, we didn't talk about Owen Hart was a great amateur wrestler. One of the reasons he was in Stampede so young was because the University of Calgary dropped their wrestling program, or he would have been. You know, he could have been a national champion wrestler in Canada, in Canada, because um, he he did really well on the collegiate level and on the high school level. But you know, the the college dropped the team when he was there. Yeah, that was one of Stu's dreams: is he wanted to live vicariously both through Brett and Owen. And Brett right, I'm went sure to Stu, so Stu wanted Owen to go to the Olympics. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Last uh, question for you, Dave. What's is which Owen Hart match is your favorite? Is there some that stand out for you? Wow. Um, I'll give you one. There was a, a King of the Ring tournament where Owen fought uh, X Pac One Two Three Kid, and it was a quick, I'd say three and a half to four minute match. But it was a high spot from beginning to end, and it's just it's just tremendous to watch. If you guys haven't seen that, look up Owen Hart versus One Two Three Kid, King of the Ring, maybe nineteen ninety four, ninety five. It's it's a great it's it's a perfect short match. Like if you could do a four star, four and a half star, four minute match, this is the best way to do it. That's one of my favorites. So okay, so the Brett match at WrestleMania ten for sure, absolutely, um, and the Cage match for sure. There was an Iron Man match with Brett and Owen, and I don't remember the city it was in, and it's not on the WWE Network, but there is a handheld around somewhere, a 60-minute match between the two of them that was outstanding. There is um, an Owen Hart Muck and Sing street fight match, and I remember this because one one night, I, me and a bunch of friends of ours, we went to this um, like bar restaurant, and it was like... I think it was a readership thing. And we, we, you know, we maybe had 20 readers this back in the eighties and we were just showing tapes of Japan and this, and, and we showed this Owen Hart Muckensing street fight match. It's like, I, I don't remember how long it was, maybe eight minutes, but like there's all these people in there, you know, and, and 80% of the people in the place are not wrestling fans. And we're watching these wrestling tapes of really great stuff. Right. And they're, you know, they're not paying any attention whatsoever. Right. The Owen Hart Muckensing street fight, just because of, just how dynamic it was. That was the match where I just remember all these people just kind of like, whoa. And they actually started clapping when Owen made his big baby face comeback. You know, and we watched, and I mean, there wasn't, and there wasn't a match that we would have shown that wasn't like, you know, a four plus star match. It was like, right. it was me, it was me bringing basically like the last three months of, of highlight tapes from Japan and WWF and WCW world Crockett promotions and, and uh, mid South and everything. And then, and stampede as well. And that was the one I just remember that like these non fans were like blown away by just because, and it wasn't even like the great moves. It was just something about the fire and the crowd. You know, it's like that gritty, you know, small time crowd, but super intense crowd yeah. thing. And you can Owen see Hart it, it's, and ben, it's, 
It's actually online. I just Googled it. The, the ropes look like they're about 30 uh, twists too loose. But uh, it's just like you said. So it, it, once again, just watching Owen, even so graceful in 1986, was doing stuff that no one else could do. Yeah, Owen Hart then bass rap against the Viet Cong Express for its time. Because I remember when they did those matches in Stampede, you know, the people who I knew up in Calgary were just like, this is like the greatest stuff. They would do 45-minute matches like all the time. Um, Owen Hart and Hiroshi Hase. I mean, when Owen Hart was a junior heavyweight in Japan, I think with like Takata and Koshinaka and, and um, Hase for sure. And um, I'm sure Owen and Davey from Berlin, I'm sure That's there's great. got to be some great Owen Hart, Shawn Michaels matches. I mean, I can envision, but I can't like come up with like a date or anything. They must, well, they, they must have worked. I think they worked on a Raw at one point. They must have worked some matches before Shawn got hurt, for sure. Well, well the match where... Um, the match where they did the big injury angle with Sean after he'd like legitimately gotten beaten up in Syracuse, they came back and they were going to do this thing, which would lead to you know Sean being out for a couple months with an injury. And it was a match with Owen. And it was a dynamite match where Owen gave him the Enzigiri and Sean went down and he never came up. And they try to tease you that like Sean may be like right. dead or something. Yeah. But that's a great match leading up to it. Owen and um, Davey against Sean and Steve Austin, which would be in 97 on a raw was for the tag team championship was a great, great match. And there's dozens of others, but those, yeah, those ones pop in my head. Just a great talent, a great performer. And uh, like I said, I don't want him to ever be forgotten as long as I'm involved in the business. So I'm glad we got to do this, Dave, and I appreciate it. And uh, like I said, hopefully he'll get his due in the Hall of Fame one of these days. Cool. All right. And have a, have a great weekend. This is a big weekend for the business. I know, man. I appreciate it, Dave. Thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Cheers. Everybody can relax because the Hart Brothers, the Hitman and the Rocket, we are back together. Everything is fine and we have buried the hatchet. And we have got one thing in mind and that is to take the Quebecers and win the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team titles at the Royal Rumble as a family, as brothers. Right, Owen? That's right. We're going to bury the hatchet. Everything is behind us now. I'm so happy we're back together. It doesn't matter what happened at Survivor Series. It doesn't even matter who was right or wrong. But Quebecers, we're coming after you. We're going to get the gold. We're going to be number one. And Brett, I want you to watch my match tonight when I step into the ring. Always great to have Dave Meltzer on. And if you don't subscribe to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, you should. He's always got the latest news, great feature stories, and of course, a ton of radio shows and podcasts. Sign up today at F4WOnline.com. That's the letter F, the number 4, WOnline.com. F4WOnline.com, or you can also go to WrestlingObserver.com and get all that information as well. Uh, speaking of information, Fozzie's got some information about our tour that's coming up. We're headed west this fall. We uh, have the opening slot at Los Angeles uh, with Iron Maiden at the Bank of California Stadium on September 14th. So we booked the whole tour around it. Uh, September 5th, Denver. 6th, Colorado Springs. 7th, Grand Junction, Colorado. 8th, Salt Lake City. Uh, 11th, Crystal Bay, Nevada. San Francisco, Sacramento, Las Vegas, San Diego, Tempe, Tucson, El Paso, Dallas, Houston, Hattiesburg, Atlanta. All ticket info at FozzyRock.com. You can also buy tickets to the VIP meet and greet. Uh, we do. It's one of the best in the business. We play a mini concert for you. We hang out with you. Don't miss out on that. FozzyRock.com for all VIP meet and greet packages. And don't forget about Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Part 2. We're setting sail January 20th, 2020. Uh, Fozzy's doing three shows on the ship. Uh, Rick Flair is going to be there. The much better health. Rick had some health scares this week, but he hopefully will be uh, 
uh, all well and better for the Jericho crews. The Wolfpack, NWO Wolfpack, Jake the Snake Roberts, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, X-Pac, Queen Charmel, Booker T, MVP, Brad Williams, Vicky Guerrero, Shaw Guerrero, The Vaudettes, Jack Slade, Solo Cup Jeff, Ted Irvin, Eric Bischoff, Conrad Thompson, Fozzie's going to be playing, Farewell to Fear, Rubik's Cube, Killer Queen, the greatest female queen cover band, Kickaxe, Dave Spivak Project, Jared James Nichols, AEW will be there with all the top AEW superstars. I'm sure Kenny Omega is going to be there. We're going to be announcing very soon some of those. DDP, Beyond the Darkness, hosting more creepy paranormal events. DDP Yoga, don't miss out on the vacation of a lifetime. We are 86% sold out. ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Book your cabin now. Don't get left behind. There's still some good cabins left. We'll see you there. And we'll see you on Wednesday when we have... Uh, well, it's a guest that I can't really say right now, but trust me, it's going to blow the roof off the place. Well, you have a great weekend. Don't you worry about it. In the meantime and in between time, we will see you. Stay hard, stay hungry, stay wet, and a big, yeah, boy. We'll see you on Wednesday. Have a great weekend. And don't forget, tomorrow night, Double or Nothing at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. That's available uh, live on uh, BleacherReportLive.com, DirecTV, the Niche Dish Network, all major cable providers. Go check out the, the pay-per-view. Uh, it's going to be a huge, huge show. The most uh, monumental, historical show in AEW's history. Jericho versus Omega. Alpha versus Omega Part 2. Uh, we're going to tear the house down. And afterwards, I demand that Kenny Omega says thank you to me on behalf of the entire All Elite Wrestling Organization. Uh, uh, in the meantime, in between time, we will see you then. Saturday, double or nothing. Oh, yeah. Have a safe weekend.